Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tullamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. Now, good evening and welcome to Country Life here on Midlands 103. It's MJ Cleary with you for the next hour, bringing you the latest from the Midlands and further afield from the worlds of agriculture, food and agribusiness. Now, thank you all for joining me and what a chance we're getting at the moment for silage making. Absolutely glorious weather and set to continue into next week when all first cuts should be completed. Sunshine helping with the end of the breeding season. Also, a cow served today with a regular gestation period will calve on the 9th of March. So although calving is starting earlier and earlier on farm, Still plenty of breeding left to occur over the next couple of weeks. Now, this evening's programme and a busy lineup as always here for the next hour. Tierlawn's Beef 2020 programme has been on the go since 2019. It's where dairy and beef farmers connect from day one and a relationship exists from birth through to slaughter. There are terms and conditions to the club which inputs must be purchased from Tierlawn uh, and cattle being processed through Keypack. But there are significant bonuses for finishers also. Ross Brady from Clara in County Offaly will join me later to chat about the programme and how it's going from strength to strength each year. An organic farm walk takes place in County Leash on Friday of this week on the farm of Jason Stanley in Errol Rathdowney. Jason is farming both sheep and tillage and converted to organics back in 2011. He'll speak about what's on offer on the day a little bit later here on the programme. His Chagas advisor, Marianne Mulhall, another leash native, will also join me to speak about what organic farmers need to do to ensure enough silage stocks for next year. This is especially important for farmers who entered organics this year. Now, the annual Oliver Goldsmith Festival takes place this weekend in Longford, Westmead, and it proves to be hugely entertaining as always. This year's festival sees a particular focus on emigration, with Oliver Goldsmith himself leaving Westmead and moving to London in the late 1700s. Professor Michael Griffin, head of the School of English at UL, the world-leading scholar on Oliver Goldsmith, will join me later and talk about that jam-packed event that's happening this weekend. Now, as always, text the show with your comments, thoughts or questions to 083 30 10 103. Uh, we start with dairy this week and tomorrow is World Milk Day and who better to speak to than dairy farmer and head of the ICMSA, Pat McCormick. Pat, many thanks for taking my call this evening. Thank you, MJ, and good evening to your listeners on this glorious uh, sunny uh, evening in, 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 in late May. Yeah, Pat, we're, I was just said at the start, you probably heard me there, the, uh, the sunshine is coming at the real right time for silage. Uh, how are things going on your own farm, Pat, before we get into things? Have you silage made? How's the breeding season going? How was calving? Yeah, look, the breeding of the calving is well wrapped up at this stage. Um, the breeding season, obviously, um, you know, has been has been challenging because I would be starting there mid-April and certainly there was a number of weeks there where we had cold and, and, and inclement weather conditions. But as you rightly Outline there that these have taken off now, and, and the rest of the cows just wasn't served uh, a common bullion, um, which is, is positive. Um, you know, silage-wise, thankfully we've had um, we've had uh, quite a good spell of weather, fine weather for for the making of silage. Because you know, the one thing certainly in West Tipperary, and I'm sure it is no different right across the Midlands, the availability of labour, uh, be it for the farmer or indeed for the contractor, is a huge challenge. And you know, the fine weather makes it that bit easier um, for for them to get through their work. Uh, and you know it certainly has been welcomed so you quite rightly said you know a few more days should see anyone that has cited the course and wants the courses uh, being in a position to have it done and uh, you know that's extremely positive in the first week of June but I suppose the common theme MJ from farmers around the country is they are beginning to get a bit concerned uh, we set for a prolonged dry period 
and and if so, you know, do you top, don't you top? And these are the sort of practical questions that have been asked out there. And I think farmers aren't topping um, in general this year uh, in comparison to other years. Maybe they've learned uh, from the challenges of, of early topping in 2022 and indeed 2018. Um, but, you know, we cannot complain. Certainly it's, it's enjoyable for men and beings. Yeah, no, absolutely, Pat. How do you find bulk for silage? I presume you have your first cut in, have you? Yeah, look, I, I'm, I'm all bales, MJ. What wasn't, what wasn't grazed uh, cropped up extremely heavy and what was grazed naturally wasn't as good. And I suppose what was, was grazed maybe later into, into the mid, towards the mid-April period uh, was, was, was a lighter crop but for bales that's acceptable. But I think across the country there is a bit of concern there as well, MJ, that you know, there was no silage left in yards. So people will be anxious to get a second cut moving in the coming weeks. Yeah, 100%, Pat. Same story everywhere. I'm going to move to yesterday's Farming Independent and the front page had a, a big story. It was actually the headline of the, the main paper as well as the farming section. €200 million Euro to cull 65,000 cows uh, a year to meet climate goals. So this was a story about 65,000 cows need to be culled for the next three years in order to meet climate goals. And this came out under the Freedom of Information Act. It was internal government documents. Uh, your thoughts on this, please, Pat? Yeah, look, I suppose we've been involved in the Dairy Vision Group, so it doesn't come as a surprise to us, albeit the figures. I suppose I call, I call it fantasy journalism, and I do I do that with the best respect going for journalists. But, you know, out of that Dairy Vision Group, there was 19 potential recommendations that could reduce emissions. And one of those was to have a, a call or a reduction stroke, exit stroke reduction scheme, uh, where farmers will be compensated uh, for reducing cow numbers, and that would help. Uh, meet our emissions but you know there's a lot more than that going on at the group and I think it was unfair of the journalists uh, to come away with that with that, um, without telling the complete story uh, you know the reduction in chemical fertiliser usage and the change of type of chemical fertiliser usage from can to protect the urea the incorporation at clover in the swart be it white clover in the grazing swart and red clover in the silent swart are all to reduce emissions um, you know there's the opportunity maybe for ruminant additive uh, as well as story editor for the years ahead. So, look, I suppose the critical thing is that if there is to be a reduction exit mechanism, a scheme in place, that it's a voluntary scheme. That's the absolutely critical word because we can't afford to see farmers that are under severe pressure after financing expansion, whether that's sheds, stock, or indeed land, um, as a result of encouragement from previous governments. We can't see them uh, forced into a position where they have to uh, reduce cow numbers in order to comply with the present government's aspirations. The scheme they're looking at here, uh, Pat, and reading the article in the Farm and Indo, we're talking a, a figure, obviously it's only mooted and uh, n- none of this is, is is anything set in stone, but uh, €3,000 per cow. Uh, like, realistically, it would have to be in far in excess of that for someone to voluntarily go into a scheme such as this, especially given milk prices the way they were last year. Yeah, well, of course, milk price is in a very different place today, MJ. Um, you know, you're talking about a base price of less than 40 cents a litre in comparison to a one for the peak months last year of 54 or 5 cents. Um, but there, there are reasons why farmers would volunteer uh, to reduce numbers. Fatigue, availability of labour, maybe lose a land lease, um, no success, obvious successor. Um, there, there, there are health issues. There, there are a number of reasons why a farmer may be incentivised to reduce numbers. Um, but, you know, for the person that wants to stay farm, and it's absolutely imperative, 
that this scheme is a voluntary scheme. I suppose, Pat, between uh, the different rules, between banding, the way the nitrates derogation is going, between exporting a slurry, the way it's been changed around, all the goalposts have been changed and all these different things. Realistically, it is going to be hard uh, for large-scale farmers to do much, if any, expansion going forward. And guys who then are stocked, you know, quite highly, be it on a smaller land base, if the banding hits them in a certain way, like they're going to have to reduce as well. So I suppose farmers are going to be asked to reduce regardless, even if they're going to be asked straight out. Yeah, well, you, 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 you touched on a very important point there, and that is, you know, that we would have looked at if this scheme was to be brought in, that was brought in for 2023. Um, the minister says he's going to base it, indicated that he's going to base it on 2022 figures, but you're not going to have a scheme from 2024. So you mentioned cow bend and nitrate. Um, that has put huge pressure uh, on the availability of land uh, and on some farms where they've had to reduce numbers already. So, you know, we want, we need to be very careful with this scheme that it's not a case of, of a scheme for those that are left inside when the horse has bolted. Um, you know, there's huge change happening. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty and anxiety out there. I've never seen as much in the last decade. Uh, and you touched on them, cow bending, nitrate. Will we be at 250 next year? Will we be at sealing at 220? Are we going to be at 270 at some point in time? Um, you know, the slurry storage requirements and, and the aspirations there a significant board, mental burden on, on farms at this point in time. Yeah, 100%, Pat. We're seeing what it's doing to land prices as well. Just before we let you go, Pat, tomorrow is World Milk Day and uh, it's a day to celebrate Irish dairy and all that's good about Irish dairy, the amount of employment it provides, where it goes all over the world. It is a, a great thing to be a part of and uh, it is a world-renowned product. I couldn't agree more with you, Angie. And, uh, you know, I suppose being particularly fortunate to be involved with it over the last decade when we've seen, you know, the abolition of quotas, the run-up to the abolition of quotas, and what the abolition of quotas meant to rural economies. Um, there has been a huge spin-off. Uh, you know, some dairy, some people may be cynical and say dairy farmers got too big, and some of them did. But the spin-off is that there's a young contractor in the area able to make a living, whether that's spreading story and fertilizer, etc., or indeed milking machine technicians, tradesmen. Um, and, you know, it has been an extremely positive story over the last decade. And, and we need to keep that positivity uh, in place because while we may be responsible for just over a third of the emissions, we seem to take 99% of the blame as a sector agriculture. Yeah, I couldn't agree more on that, Pat. I will leave you to it. I say many thanks for joining me this evening on the show, Pat, and we'll be speaking to you again here on Midlands 103. Good, good evening, MJ, and good evening to your listeners. Uh, Pat McCormick there from the ICMSA and tomorrow is World Dairy Day or World Milk Day I should say and uh, it is important to look at uh, the side of things when it comes from a dairy perspective we look at our global brands Kerrygold known all over the world if we come a bit more locally then here in the Midlands we have fantastic brand Glenisk and our products again going global they go to the Middle East actually every day Glenisk talking to Vincent Cleary on the programme here once the Village Dairy in Leash and we have smaller operations then I was at a farm walk in North Tipperary a couple of weeks ago Crawford's uh, micro farm they have 12 cows and they're selling all their milk direct via milk uh, cream uh, and butter and again a fantastic uh, micro uh, business which is showing just exactly what the cow can produce and uh, we have to be very fortunate here in Ireland for such a climate for grass growing and how the dairy industry has grown as Pat said over the last few years it's the growth in dairy that is keeping an awful lot of farm businesses going be it contractors um, or other businesses who are servicing farmers and uh, there is a lot to be said for it. Without it, uh, it would be an extremely different 
climate. Also, we have to talk about the nutrition source, which milk is. Uh, coming from milk, yogurt, cream, ice cream, such an important nutrition source for children uh, in those formative years when they're three up to seven. Uh, again, all of these things sometimes get left behind when we're talking about food production, we're talking about dairy. And uh, tomorrow being World Milk Day, it is a day to celebrate that. Now, coming up after the break, we are talking about a open day which is taking place in County Leash in Errol to be exact on the farm of Jason Stanley and we're going to be speaking to Jason who is an organic sheep and tillage farmer and also his Chagas advisor Marianne Mulhall is going to talk to us on the broader aspects of organics and just how people are getting on people who've got into the scheme in 2023 so stay tuned for that Country Life on Midlands 103 brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tullamore supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands worshaw.ie Good evening and welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. Now we're moving on to an organic farm walk taking place in County Leash this coming Friday and we have Jason Stanley on the line. Jason, many thanks for taking my call this evening. And how are you going? We're going good, Jason. You're a busy man this evening. Are you making silage? Ah, uh, yeah. Still ahead. <laughs> uh, very very good. Uh, Peter Bale? Peace, peace. And how are you, how are you finding it? How's yields for you this evening? Yeah, they seem to be good. They seem to be good. So just helping out here. Yeah, busy, bu- busy time. Just we won't keep you too it's long. Busy time for everyone. Yeah, yeah, we won't keep yeah. you too long on the phone this evening. But just in <laughs> in, a, in advance of your farm walk taking place on uh, Friday, a little bit of background to the farm first, uh, Jason. Look, there's a series of these organic farm walks taking place all over the country as a result of the amount of people gone into organics. But it's not your first rodeo on organics. You've been in it a while. Can you tell us when you got into it and what your farming system is, please, Jason? Yeah, we got into it in 2011. Um, we used to. have 850 yards in the farm and we cut back on the farm and I said with the parents we have to do something about this there was no profit in the whole job so we cut back everything and we went into the organics and um, we slowly gradually built it all up over the last few years there that was 2011 came fully organic in 2013 Um, it's been interesting yeah and the move the move in Back in 2011, uh, Jason, as you said, you did it because you weren't making any money and you were looking to make more profit. And this is a, a, exactly. a an age-old story for beef and sheep farmers and tillage farmers yes. uh, across the country. Uh, when you moved in, what did you do? Did you cut down on stock numbers? Did you decrease stock altogether for a couple of years? How how did you go about it when you, we did, when you we made did. that we move? Reduced, we reduced the odds back to about 300. And we said we'd take it slowly and see how it went with a lot of receding to do. The land had got sick from sheep as well because we weren't doing any receding, no tillage. And I had an interest in the tillage and I said there must be something we could grow to feed on the farm. So I started into the multi-species and the red clovers and the forage rape and gradually built up. And now I suppose we're, we're stocked more today or now organically than we were the other way. And it's going good, yeah. Yeah, very good. So you're, you're farming, as you said, it's a tillage and sheep enterprise and they, they complement each other well. Can you give us an idea of your rotation, Jason? How do you work on reseeding? What's your policy? I try to come in with red clover first if I, for into tillage ground. Try to give it three to five years in the red clover to build up the nitrogen in it. And then I will come in with barley into it and that goes for, for seed. So... The ground needs to be pretty clean for that. Um, I'll give it two years in barley and then we will change to oats 
uh, every winter we'll put in the, the cover crops as well. So some winters they'll grow, other winters they won't, but then they'll take off in the spring. So it just seeds the, the soil, you know. I could be ploughing down a forage crop in March if it didn't take in September, October. Yeah, so you're... you're... But it's all just seeding the, the soil and you, to go with the shovel, dig it up. It's, it's full of life, like it's full of worms. Yeah, you as know, you said, the, the the soil, the soil. Well, the soil is it's paramount, and it's it's something we're we're hearing about more and more and more. Soil fertility and soil health, and this is how we we grow good and nutritious crops and food and grass. Have you got soil samples done, for example, Jason, since you went to organic, or what do they come back uh, with? Yeah. P and K levels. Yeah, so we'd we'd always be soil sampling. Um, every two to three years, nearly every field will be covered in the whole farm. Uh, we manage with uh, Glambia the sludge and then we have the farmyard manure and then the cover crops and that's the way we work the, the peas and k's in the farm and peas and k's are, are, are good like they're not they're not diminishing no they're good there will be a field or two but we can cover that with the dung um, what else would there be um, to develop the fertility on it we, we, there is there is like if you, people think organic you can't use fertilizer you can you and you can use the organic P and K like. Yes, yeah, but presu- I presume cost it's costly stuff. Exactly, it's costly stuff. Yeah, yeah. But uh, keeping the green manures into in the sheep, the sheep wouldn't be hard on the P and K anyway. You know. Yeah, it's a, it, the system you have between the tillage and uh, the sheep and the rotations that you have. It really does. It sounds like it suits the organic down to the ground. The one question people always have with tillage when they hear about organic tillage is how do you keep the weeds out of the crops, or how do you how do you get them to grow without uh, without chemical sprays? And what's the answer to that, Jason? Is is it is it easy done? It is. Just when you're finished sowing, you close the gate and you open again for the combine, and the combine does the, the sorting and the weeds. For the seed barley, we will have to go out and pick a few. Maybe there might be a bit of wild oat in it, but that would be it. Uh, the red shank is the biggest problem. So when I'm getting ready to cook corn, I have the contractor drove mad. And the minute the corn, the barley starts to ripen, it starts letting up the red shank. So you just need to have a combine sitting on the headland, really. Yeah, and you need someone ready for all. The the yeah. lamb side of the, the system and the sheep side of the system, uh, Jason, how are you getting on with that side of it in relation to uh, price? Is there a better margin for our organic lamb or how does it fare out? The sheep market is struggling at the minute and has been for the last few years. We we go to Kamal and ICM with the lamb and that was going to Aldi. It's going to, um, it was going for baby food out in Germany. So the rules are fairly strict with the, with the organic sheep meat. The trade, the factory said if they could get more people into the organic, they'd, they'd find a bigger market. They haven't got the market. There's weeks I go non-organic. I just take the hit in it, but I'm keeping costs down. I'm not buying meal. I'm not buying fertilizer. You know, so yeah. So as you say, look, sheep sheep market has been struggling. I uh, give a word, Jason, on your farm walk on Friday. What time is it uh, taking place exactly? Um, twelve o'clock, uh, Friday. Yeah, so we're it's, getting ready for that now. <laughs> you're you're gonna you're gonna have the place to get the silage in tonight and get the get the power washer out tomorrow. Uh, yeah, Jason. Ask for a day off now. Tomorrow. Yeah, 100%. We'll take, take the weekend off. Well, look, we're going to leave you too with Jason. I'm going to say many thanks for joining me this evening. It's been very well advertised, I have to say. It's all over all the, all the different agri websites. Yeah, she's doing a great job advertising. Yeah, so <laughs> you'll definitely, you, yeah, you know, you'll definitely have a, have a big crowd. But we wish you well for it, Jason. And yeah. look, we'll speak to you again in the programme. Many thanks for joining me. Thanks. Thanks very much. Okay.
uh, Jason Stanley there uh, from uh, Errol in Rathdowney and that farm walk is taking place on Friday at 12 noon and it's hugely well advertised I have to say I mentioned I was going to have Marion Mulhall on Jason's advisor just a technical issue with Marion but we'll see what we can do after the break on that uh, just a couple of news items which have caught my eye before I go to the break one of those is that of bog re-wetting uh, this is something we are seeing everywhere and anywhere as we move at the moment it takes the front page of the Irish Farmers Journal for the second week in a row and the front page tomorrow states that fears re-wetting will slash land values and uh, I suppose look realistically that's that's obvious enough uh, that that could happen we did have that news story last week Pat O'Toole from the Irish Farmers Journal was on with us and he stated that Minister McConlogue said that all lands that were to be re-wetted by 2050 would occur on state land, so Bordemona and Quilcha. Uh, however, that doesn't address the neighbouring land. So if you're a farmer and you have land beside Bordemona or Quilcha, you're the person who's going to be worried about that. Again, what's been mooted a lot, Pat O'Toole said it, Darren McCullough, I see on the Farming Indo, said it this week as well. We need a demo farm set up ASAP. Uh, that is re-wetted and we need to see what happens as a result of that and I think that's very very good advice and that's something that the department are going to just have to work on immediately and get that across the line another story which was interesting and that's the Newford herd that's Don Meats backed herd of uh, sucklers in association with Chagas and their figures came back from 2022 and they are dependent on subsidies basically they made a loss last year 2022 as a result of the huge increase in input prices even though beef prices were good uh, they're trying to make a, a, a profit of 35,000 which would basically pay someone a wage for the entire year but they are still dependent on subsidies so just shows the challenges which are there in the suckers herd uh, really really not simple and uh, an interesting one that got lots of media coverage this week as well now I'm going to shoot to a break and after I am going to be speaking to Ross Brady Ross is from County Offaly and he's involved in the Tierlawn Beef 2020 Club we're going to hear all about that in just a moment so stay tuned Country Life on Midlands 103 brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tillamore supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands worshaw.ie and you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103 now we're moving on to Beef and the Beef 2020 Club, to be exact, we have Ross Brady on the line. Ross, many thanks for taking my call this evening. Thanks, MJ. Thanks for having me. Hi, you're more than welcome, Ross. And we are talking about the Tierlawn Beef 2020 Club. You've been on the go a few years now, Ross. So let's rewind the clock uh, back to its inception. And uh, can you just give us the background again? What was the story to get this together? And when did it officially start? Yeah, so I suppose it, it's on the go now since uh, 2019. So we're we're entering our fifth year of the program now at this stage. So it's a collaboration between Tierlawn, as you rightly said, and Keypack um, as the processor. Um, I suppose the whole objective of of the program was to improve the overall genetics coming from the dairy herd and from from our Tierlawn milk suppliers herds, I suppose, and and providing. A sustainable market for them calves and I suppose um, with our club members and who are both dairy farmers and beef farmers we're also I suppose bringing the two of them together to work together and uh, trying to encourage them to, to have a better uh, quality product and farming in, in a more sustainable way both environmentally and, and economically and then there's a reward for them I suppose when they process the animals at the end of the true key pack. 
Yeah, that was always that's always been the issue, uh, Ross. Anyone who's ever reared calves will always say the problem is to find quality calves and to find dairy farmers and to create a and a good system, a symbiotic relationship between the two where both people are benefiting. And I suppose that was really your your nub or what you were trying to address there. How are you finding that those relationships that have been created now between beef farmers and dairy farmers, are they still going on? Are there still guys working together these five and six years later? Or are you finding guys are drifting apart and finding new partners? No, what, what we find is the farmers that we would have matched up in, in say, from 2019 on, are are working together now on, on a yearly basis, which is very good. And even the dairy farmers, we notice, are getting more open to allowing the beef farmer to select the, the genetics or the breed of bulls that, that they want to purchase from them. So it's to try and get more of that, um, I suppose, working together and, and bringing the two of them together. We we launched a, a calf locator app a couple of years ago as well, which has been a huge addition. So our dairy farmers that wish to supply calves, not even calves, can they can supply them at any age, uh, Weanland or even forward stores into the club, can advertise them through the Calf Locator app, which is on the ICBF web app. It has a wealth of information then. It shows, say, for example, the commercial beef value, which is a hot topic at the minute for people buying calves. It gives all them values. Um, you know, you can select out the calves per county or animals per county to suit you. And then the, dairy, or the beef farmer then is able to scroll through that and, and I suppose, locate these calves. That has been a huge addition to the club as well. Yeah, that's a massive thing, uh, Ross, to be honest, and especially the way all farmers now have a smartphone and well used to done deal, well used to apps, well used to being on it, and to be able to just pick it up and access information like that is hugely beneficial. It is, yeah, and I suppose we, we have a technical support team in place as well where people that maybe not so... Uh, phone user friendly or whatever and they still want to buy calves through, through the club we can match them up with dairy farmers too and, and find the animals that suits them and we're talking about the numbers then uh, Ross when you when you started initially in 2019 um, X amount went through but it's grown year on year up to this year it is yeah so in 2019 we the target kind of for the pilot year of we said we said we start off with 6,000 which we did and, and we've doubled our numbers every year since that and we hope to keep to uh, continue to grow the numbers, and I suppose we're open now for for new entries. I suppose from from Keypack's point of view, this is a very very saleable product for them with a huge level of traceability. It's ticking all the boxes for them in terms of carcass size, in terms of eating quality, um, and they're actually really really happy with the quality of this beef. And it, this is very much their prime beef now, and it, it's even getting preference, I suppose. Um, over any anything else because this is the, the type of beef that they want and this is the way they see the future of the beef um, coming to them and that, that's what they're looking for. So that's all good and we, we intend to keep growing our numbers year on year on the back of that. And when you sign up to the 2020 club, uh, then Ross, there's some terms and conditions. Uh, one of those being uh, inputs have to be purchased uh, through Tierlon. What are the rules on that? Yeah, so um, I suppose uh, just to, to let you know on, on the bonuses, um, we have we have changed the bonuses that would have started off at 25 cent a kilo. So we've increased that um, bonus to 30 cent a kilo. So 10 cent of that, which will be um, paid by Tierlan and 20 from, from Keypack. And in terms of the bonus, um, I suppose the key selling point for, for the 2020 beef is the level of traceability that we can guarantee 
um, key parts customers and I suppose their customers being the consumer, the house husband or housewife. Um, and that is the unique selling point, I suppose, for that beef. And so all inputs for the animals um, in the club would be sourced through Tyrlon. Um, and that would be, I suppose, from calf milk replacer, if you're feeding calf milk replacer, from calf feed right the way through to the to the finishing feed. Yeah, and as we would say, also be using, I suppose, additives in our feed that have a have a, a good story in terms of carbon footprint as, as well. In terms of a, we use a French additive in particular called Carnier Boost, which is made up of yeast and essential oils, which has a reduction in in, uh, in methane as well, which is which is a good. Um, it, it's a unique selling point to the to the products we'd be using as well. Yeah, so there's the, the traceability is a huge aspect of it. And when all the products come from the one place, then it's easy to say what the ingredients are. And I can see the reason for it. And also then you get to sell the ingredients also. Right? So, you know what I mean? It kind of, it's it, it works exactly. well. Yeah, yeah, it works well on, on both parts. But as you say, you are being remunerated for this with your bonuses. So your bonus is up on 30 cent um, on your basic bonus. You have some additional bonuses then in relation to uh, different types of breeds, I believe. Yeah, so see, uh, I suppose we, we made a few changes there in the last number of weeks. Um, and we have, uh, since the last five years, we've kind of made changes over, uh, nearly every couple of years to try and continue to improve it. And, and we will be doing more of that as the numbers grow and as we, we develop in new markets. So, um, yeah, as I said, the bonus now is the standard bonus over, over the average quarter price, which would be our base for the animal, is now 30 cent a kilo. Um, then you have a, an Angus bonus on top of that, which would be 20 cent. The Hereford bonus would also be 20 cent. But a new addition then this year as well is, is a continental bonus. So every other breed, I, I suppose, except Frisian, Angus or Hereford, will receive an additional 10 cent. So they would get 40 cent bonus. We still have the seasonality bonus in, in April and June. That is a further 6 cent and in May another 10 cent. So, for example, an Angus or Hereford animal today will be getting 60 cent over the base price, um, plus the quality assurance as well, which is fairly substantial. They will, yeah. they will be coming into around six euro a kilo, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. The weight range then, Ross, what are you looking for exactly, or what, what's the club looking for for animals? Yeah, the weight range, um, again, we made a few changes on this. So the, the, the weight range now is 260 to 400 kilos uh, carcass. So initially it was 280 to 360, but we did notice some animals that were being processed earlier, um, say off grass before that second winter, were probably coming in a little shy of this, maybe at 260 to 270, especially the traditional bred heifers. So we wanted to pull that back in order to facilitate them because it's probably best practice and it makes economical sense to, to get more of them animals in at that young age. Yeah, very good. And if people are interested, Ross, and if they're not, as you say, web savvy, uh, maybe for downloading apps, is there uh, uh, mm. someone they can ring or pick up if they call into the local tier line or where, where do they go for more exactly. info? I'd say just talk to any, any of your, your um, local representatives from tier line or Keypack and, and they'll be able to put you through to the, I suppose, to the right people. Yeah, excellent stuff. Ross, I'll say many thanks. Great rundown there on it. And no doubt, look, I'll be talking to you next year, the year after. You'll be going from strength to strength. There'll be more numbers going through it uh, with a 50-60% cent, I should say, bonus on it. Hard to look a different way. No points in any different. Um, and many thanks, Ross. Thanks, MJ, for a play. Uh, Ross Brady there from Tierlawn and um, uh, that was the particulars on the Beef 2020 Club and I suppose when you see the way beef prices are going at the moment 
on this last week of May down around five euro ten, five euro twenty. Um, when you put that sixty cent up on top of it, it very hard, very hard to to not look at it. Uh, the way the beef trade is going, the way prices are being pulled, any kind of certainty at all, or any type of bonus, any type of extra money in the beef side of things needs to be looked at. Of course, your system may not suit that, uh, but it may. And if it does, no harm looking is what I would say. Now, coming up after the break, we are going to be talking to Professor Michael Griffin. He's from the University of Limerick School of English, and he's going to be speaking to us about the annual Goldsmith Festival taking place in Longford, Westmead this weekend. So stay tuned for that. Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park, Tullamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. And you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. Now we're moving on to the annual Goldsmith Festival taking place in Longford, Westmead this weekend. And we have Professor Michael Griffin from the University of Limerick joining us. Uh, Michael, many thanks for taking my call this evening. Hello, MJ. Delighted to talk to you. Uh, very good, Michael. This time last year, so I was speaking to you, a very, very quick 12 months, how time flies. Uh, the event is... <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I actually couldn't believe it. I was t- just uh, looked at my text messages and it was a, it was a year ago to the day uh, where you were speaking <laughs> to me about this before. So very, very, very yep. quick year. But uh, the event is coming up this weekend. We're going to run through the itinerary in a second. But uh, for some people who may not be in the know, uh, can we have just a brief bio of the man himself before we kick off, please? Sure. Uh, Oliver Goldsmith is probably one of the Midlands' uh, most famous sons um, in terms of his uh, in terms of literature. Uh, he's raised along the Longford, Longford Westmead border in the earlier part of the 18th century, um, and he uh, migrated. Then, uh, well, he, st- he studied in Trinity College Dublin, and then migrated to Edinburgh, and then he travelled around the continent in Europe, and then arrived back in London, uh, where he set himself up as a writer. Well, he tried to set himself up as a medic, first of all, but uh, it was part of his training. But he became a professional writer and then uh, went on to uh, write quite a bit anonymously. He was kind of, a, I suppose you might call him a, a sort of an anonymous journalist or even a hack was the, the unkind term. Uh, and eventually then kind of got into writing his own uh, stuff and becoming famous for his own stuff. Uh, and he wrote right across all the genres. So he wrote very famous poems, uh, one of which is The Deserted Village, which is very famous, I think, to Irish readers. He also wrote a very famous novel called The Vicar of Wakefield, uh, and he wrote a very famous play called She Stoops to Conquer. Uh, so these are all uh, written and, uh, in the case of the play, performed in the 1760s and 1770s. Uh, and then he died in 1774. But his career is, uh, uh, he's still anthologized widely, uh, still considered to be one of uh, Ireland's um, most famous writers. And you'll often see his image. Uh, if ever you walk into a pub where you see that poster of uh, Ireland's famous writers, you'll see Oliver Goldsmith there alongside the other uh, the other uh, greats. Now, there's there's a, an Irish, a best Irish women's poster as well. Uh, so the, 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 he's kind of featured on the old poster, which featured only men, but uh, he's kind of part of that long tradition of uh, of Irish writers and English uh, who have kind of uh, written better in the English language than the English did themselves. And so he's, uh, I think, yep. Yeah, sure. they, just uh, that that concept of fame, uh, Michael. Back in in that time, seventeen sixty, seventeen seventies, over in London. What you know? What did it What did it mean? I suppose was he recognised in particular circles? He obviously wasn't recognised on the street, I presume, but he was making a good living from what he was doing. Like you know, how how would you describe it in today's form? Uh, well, he was making a very good living, uh, and in fact, could have. Uh, um, he lived very well. But perhaps he lived slightly beyond his means um, because he was fond of the finer things in life, uh, including very, um, he was a, quite a brash, uh, kind of uh, sartorially quite brash and was famous for that because he was also considered to be quite, 
not the most presentable in terms of his own physical appearance. Um, people often remarked unkindly on his appearance in an unkind way. So he was uh, somebody who spent a lot of his money, gave a lot of his money away, uh, was very charitable, um, and was for that reason was considered to be by some to be quite foolish. Uh, but he was, uh, I think, very famous in in London in his own time, especially after he wrote his first major poem called uh, "The Traveller," or "Prospect of Society." Uh, after that, people, you know, just kind of wanted to meet him. Very famous people wanted to meet him. Aristocrats wanted to patronise him and kind of uh, support him. Uh, but he always said that he was very happy to be supported by the book trade itself and not necessarily to make himself beholden to any uh, to any aristocrats or uh, to any bigwigs. Uh, so he was, uh, you know, he kind of. Uh, I suppose he was a bit of a trailblazer in his own in his own way. Uh, somebody who came over without much in the way of resources and kind of set himself up very gradually, pulled himself up very slowly but surely in the in the world of letters at the time, uh, which was referred to by some as the you know you had to get on board what was called the fame coach, uh, and that was something that you had to do uh, through engaging with the book trade, engaging with the booksellers, because um, they were really the engines of, of of literary production at the time. I suppose it was a byproduct of his success, really. Like the fact he was very good meant he was going to be famous, uh, regardless of whether he wanted it or not. Um, the 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 immigration and modern Irish history speech is going to it's a keynote address, and that's happening on Friday, the second of June, and that's a theme of the the weekend: emigration, migration. Um, as a result of um, Goldsmith himself, he le- he left Westmead and went uh, abroad, and uh, you're going to speak about that over the course of the weekend. Absolutely, yeah, that's going to be the main theme. And the title of the school is Citizens of the World, uh, Ireland's Immigrants and Immigrants. So we always take a kind of a, a phrase from Goldsmith's writings uh, and we kind of develop that into a theme where we can think about contemporary issues uh, but refer back to Goldsmith's um, literary uh, career and his achievement. Uh, so, yeah, we're talking about, you know, the, the people that left Ireland uh, and the people that have come in uh, and the kinds of, uh, I suppose, the dynamics uh, of all of that. Uh, and we're using Goldsmith really as a, as a kind of a jumping off point to enter into some uh, discussions about that. So, as you say, the keynote address uh, is going to be by one of Ireland's most uh, most famous historians, public historians, uh, Professor Jim Ferter of UCD, uh, and he's going to be uh, speaking on uh, the topic of emigration in modern Irish history. Uh, there are people dreaming. I think is, is the title. That's a reference to um, the Christie Moore song, I think, the City of Chicago. Uh, and the official opening is by the ambassador of Poland uh, to Ireland, and of course. Uh, there's been such a, a strong culture of, uh, of migration from Poland to Ireland um, over the last 20 years or so. So I think uh, she'll have some very interesting things to say uh, on the topic. Uh, and then on the following day, uh, we kind of lay the foundation, then I suppose, for thinking about these things in terms of Goldsmith's career by um, by taking a lecture from uh, Dr. Liam Chambers, who's an expert really on, on the Irish in Europe in the 18th century. So he's going to talk about the Irish uh, in Europe in the age of Goldsmith. Uh, so I'll be chairing that. Uh, and then we're going to have a session where we kind of, uh, I suppose, relate um, Goldsmith's um, issues and, he, and his, his sorts of experiences of migration uh, to contemporary concerns with uh, three very fascinating talks. Uh, Liam O'Dwyer from the Irish Red Cross will be speaking. Uh, Kensika Monchenguo uh, will be talking about intercultural competency. Uh, and Councillor uh, Uruemu Adejinmi will be talking about her Nigerian Irish heritage, and that will be chaired by William Penrose. I'm delighted you said uh, both those names, uh, Michael. I'm looking at yep. them here in front of me, and uh, that's great now. <laughs> yep. Just in relation to all that, uh, Michael, and all the different speeches we're talking about, and it really does, as you say, you bring it up to modern day uh, very well. You can see exactly all the different connotations there are to bring it to today. But if we reverse the clock and we go back to Goldsmith's time a little, he obviously yep. 
moved over to to England. We're talking late seventeen mm-hmm. hundreds. Um, so, was emigration something that was occurring much in the Midlands at that time in Ireland at that time? That's uh, I mean that's an interesting question. Um, I think where you'll find most of the migration happening, uh, the kind of the far migration happening, is to is to the American colonies. Um, and Goldsmith refers to this in his great poem, The Deserted Village. Uh, I think uh, his own experience of migration is is a sort of a what you might even call a kind of a professional or educated classes kind of migration that happens between Ireland and London during that period. Uh, and also, I mean, he originally went to Edinburgh uh, in, in in Britain. Uh, but that was to pursue his medical education. But when he arrived in London, ultimately he found himself, as Irish people often do when they migrate, uh, part of a larger community of London Irish people. So there were lots of people uh, in the Middle Temple in London. You have an entire culture of Irish lawyers and you have lots of Irish dramatists uh, writing uh, plays during this time. And they're very famous for their wit uh, and for their particular uh, kind of uh, sort of inventiveness uh, on the stage. Uh, So you have lawyers playwrights, you have medics, and you have politicians as well. Uh, So one of Goldsmith's friends in in London was Edmund Burke. Uh, And if ever you go to Trinity College, you'll see the two of them standing outside their statues. Uh, They're two of uh, Trinity's most famous alumni who ended up uh, pursuing careers in London. Uh, So he was somebody who went to London uh, to pursue his career, but he'd often and had thought previously um, of emigrating to the US, or not to the American colonies as they were then, and he'd also thought about emigrating to India. Uh, so when he was a younger man, he'd speculated about the possibilities uh, of, of migrating to, to further flung places, but uh, he ended up in London instead. Uh, but what he's very concerned with in some of his writing is about the plight of the migrant, uh, you know, what it's like to, to leave home uh, to that place that you feel a very kind of intense attachment to, and uh, to find yourself uh, perhaps on the far side of the Atlantic or maybe in London at a tavern someplace, thinking about uh, everything that you've left behind, your friends, your family, your relatives back in back in Longford and Westmeath. Uh, that's that's very much part of, you, you find that there's a lot of, uh, you might describe it as kind of melancholy uh, mm. in some of his letters home um, uh, during that period, especially as he begins to set himself up in London. Uh, you find a lot of the loneliness of the of the migrant who is, uh, you know, he's very aware of his accent, uh, he's very aware that um, he's not quite up to speed with some of the political machinations of, of his Lon- London contemporaries. Uh, and he's lonely for home. Um, was he in a position, Michael, to travel back to Ireland much at the time? I know he had some money, so it wouldn't be as much of an impediment as it would to some people who left uh, the country. Yeah, he, he definitely had thought about it. Um, and in fact, that's one of the lines in, in the deserted villages that uh, he, long, he had hopes he's long vexations passed here to return and to die at home at last. Uh, so going home to Ireland was something that was on his mind, um, but he just never seemed to get around to it. And then his literary career kind of intensified. He became more famous. Uh, he constantly kind of proposed that he was going to go back to Ireland, but never got around to it. And of course, he died relatively young. Then. He was only 45 when he died. Uh, so perhaps if he hadn't gotten gotten ill at the time that he did, he probably would have. What did he uh, die? What did he die from, uh, Michael? He died of a, a renal infection. So something now that probably, you know, you could treat with an antibiotic. Um, it was the kind of thing that could do for you in, in the 18th century in London. Uh, and even though he was medically trained, he um, he uh, prescribed for himself something called Dr. James's fever powders um, and was very keen to, to keep using them, but there was no, they were, they were clearly not of, um, of any great benefit to him. Uh, so he died, he went down pretty quickly, really, in 1774. Yeah, that was... uh, he was sick, and then a few weeks later he was gone. 
Uh, Michael, I have to say many thanks for joining me here on the, the programme. I could say speaking to you for a long time on all the different aspects of Oliver Goldsmith, but you have a great lineup this weekend. Uh, you're starting Friday the 2nd of June, yeah, yeah. yeah, and you're running through to Sunday the 4th. I'm going to say many thanks for joining me. I'll give another mention here before uh, we leave. And uh, all the best this weekend. I hope you get a great turnout. You put a lot of work into it, and I'm sure you will. Brilliant. Thanks a million, MJ. And that is Professor Michael Griffin from the UL School of English. And that event is taking place, as we said, this weekend. And it's on in Abbey Shrewl on Friday, 2nd of June. Admission is €10 Euro to that um, event. There are people dreaming immigration and modern Irish history. We're on Saturday in Ballymahan Community Library. Uh, Shelley's Courtyard, Ballymahan, then again on Sunday. And uh, back to the library again. So you'll get all the info on that on the Goldfits Mess Festival, I should say, dot com. And uh, that is that for this evening's programme. I'd like to thank uh, all of my guests here over the course of the last hour. Professor Michael Griffin there from UL. Ross Brady from the Beef 2020 Club. We had Jason Stanley. His farm walk is taking place on Friday at 12 noon. And Pat McCormack from the ICMSA joined me at the top of the hour. Show is repeated Sunday morning at 7am till 8am. You can get me wherever you get your podcast. Type in MJ Space Cleary and we'll pop up. Listen at your leisure. I'll be back with you this time next week. As always, Joe Cooney is up next. Good night. And God bless. Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tillamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. W.